The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Hey everybody and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter. I'll be your host for today. Kind of a spiritual journeyman and media producer. I run a website on, with online courses called youthrivehere.com. I'm also the president of the board at the Center for Spiritual Living, Greater Baltimore, and I'm very happy to be doing that at uh, CSLGreaterBaltimore.org. Joining me today as my regular favorite co-host, Spiritual Rebel, Sarah Bowen. Sarah's the author of Spiritual Rebel, A Positively Addictive Guide to Finding Deeper Perspective and Higher Purpose. How are you doing today, Sarah? I'm okay, Jim. Does that mean I get to call you President Jim? Yes. In fact, I, <laughs> I am going to insist on that from now on. Oh, that, that's an upgrade. I like that. Okay, I am doing well, President Jim. So I've been talking about it, and I understand, you know, from our conversations that there may be a book that's boiling up. I, You know, is it the rumor true? The rumor is true. I've been squirreled away, literally and metaphorically, uh, for the last, off and on, for about the last six months during this pandemic, writing the new book. So it's uh, it's getting exciting. Yeah, so um, can you give us a hint about what it's about? I bet you can figure it's about animals. I'm shocked. <laughs> it is. But actually, you know, for me, there's this uh, there's this thing happening where, you know, what's happening to humans and animals and the planet is all becoming more and more apparent how intersectional it is. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to write a book on that about how do we deal with animal lives and animal loss and surviving that when it happens to us personally, right? Just our pets, our cats, our dogs, or whatever. But also what's happening with loss of biodiversity on the planet? You know, what are we looking at with uh, climate weirding? All of that kind of stuff. So the new book wraps all of that together uh, with a, a few Star Wars references. So you won't be disappointed in that. Oh my goodness. I hope Chewbacca is referenced in there. You know what? He is. <laughs> oh, I'm not surprised and I'm very happy to hear that. Well, you know, I think some of us, you know, interspecies conversations or that idea for many of us started from watching Star Trek or Star Wars or something where we saw different species other than humans interacting. I right. mean, that's really what we play out in a lot of our sci-fi is what do you do when you come up against another being who's not exactly like you and what rights do they have and what does your relationship look like? And then if we track that back to dogs, cats, cows, chickens, lab mice, you know, what does that look like? 
and and how can we all just get along you know how especially in these times you know how how can we get along and and empower each other and and get that enlightenment to move forward exactly because i think it's about flourishing it's really about how do we have all species and include the trees in there and the plants and the waters and the oceans how do we make sure that everybody's flourishing so last week, I talked with Royce, uh, who was my guest co-host, a wonderful guest co-host for me, uh, while you were absent. And um, we talked about his book, and then we mentioned your book, too. And I, I, thought, I, I thought I'd make the suggestion that maybe there should be a movie based on your book, like a dramatic movie based on your upcoming book. What do you think about that? Oh, that's kind of interesting. That brings up quite an ethical quandary, too, about like, how do I feel about animals being forced to act in my movie? <laughs> I'll talk to my cats, Jim, and I'll report back. Please do. And I just want to put my hat in there like I did with Royce. I would like to have a starring role in that if I could. I think you should. I'll bring my dog along, too, and my cat. I think you should. I, th I think we're on to something here. Perhaps not a feature-length film, but there might be something short in the making here between the crazy minds of you and me and Royce. I mean, just imagine what might develop there. <laughs> Absolutely. So I want to just touch base on, you know, you, you talk in your book, you talk about your spiritual practices and all these possibilities here. I wondered what um, spiritual practice are you using right now in these really intense times. Is there something particular that's a go-to for you? You know, there's a couple. Um, every morning I throw an I Ching, as we would say in Midwestern twang, or a Yi Jing. Um, but I do throw a couple coins on the floor, and then that points me to a certain page in a book, you know, to read. And that really helps me direct my day. So that's the first thing I do. Uh, and I'm spending a lot of time um, meditating out the window trying to connect to the natural world because I've been spending too much time staring at TV screens. Yes. Right. And looking at number counts and, and all sorts of things. And so I'm spending a lot of time. We have five blue jays in our yard now. I don't even know what that means. Um, there's quite the racket happening, but so I'm, I'm really trying to uh, get in touch with nature. And I do have to say my prayer life is uh, <laughs> perhaps a little self-servingly ramped up right now. How, how about you? How are you staying balanced? Well, you know, it's a challenge. I do journal and that helps me a great deal. I, I've been doing the, the practices from scripting your life um, that, uh, that Royce suggested because I really like that process. I, I feel that I've been meditating more, but um, today I meditated and I felt um, that things went deeper than they have in a while. And I think from my head, my brain, um, it's challenging for me to get past the busyness of the first few minutes of meditating in my mind, you know, the, the, the activity, the overactivity of my brain. And once I, I accept that, and I just move forward and continue, I find an inner peace um, that, uh, that really helps me. So I'm continuing that practice. And I'm also doing spiritual mind treatments from the science of mind side of things. And um, I, I want to continue doing that practice. And then, you know, unfortunately, I turn around the news and I have to do it all over again. But, you know. Or fortunately, because you know that when you start to feel some distress or some discomfort, you know, we have those practices, I think. I think when we get quiet and, and the minds start, you know, we see what the mind, what our minds are doing. 
um, and we tune into that, it's kind of like, wow, I had no idea I was running that fast. Right. Or I was spinning out, you know, I call it spinning out. Mm -hmm. I don't like to call it monkey mind because I love monkeys and I don't like to blame them for what's going on in my mind. Right. 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 Um, but that that ability to to bring it down so that we come back somehow into, I don't know, the right flow or the right speed. I think I think that's a lot of what sp spiritual practices is, is connection and speed yeah. connection to whatever our connection is, whatever our divine connection is. Right. And then just just slow ourselves down. Yeah. Slowing down, even in these times, feels so important. So I have a quote for you. Do you have a quote for me? I do. You want to go first? Yes. Go for it. <laughs> okay. And this this is a little bit uh, inspired by the book that we've been reading this week and our interview today. So see if you pick that up. Here it goes. At times, our own light goes out and is rekindled by a spark from another person. Each of us has cause to think with deep gratitude of those who have lighted the flame within us. Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. And it does, it connects very well with what we're talking about today. Right, because we're going to talk a little fire today, a little spark. Right, but right. That's Albert Schweitzer. Hmm. And I like that because you're one of those people who rekindles the spark in me when I start to go a little, Ugh. I often get these great little texts from Jim or silly little memes that bring me right back to uh, a place of remembering uh, joy. During well, I appreciate time. So thank that. you for being my spark. You're welcome. And thank you for being mine. I really appreciate that too. All right. So here's mine. I am enough. I have wisdom enough. I have faith enough. I know enough. I do not need to strive or strain. I do not need to reach or worry. I am enough. I allow the universe to act through me. The universe is more than enough, and so am I. I need to read that every hour. On right, the hour. right now, yes, For yes. The next year. Yes. Where did that come from? That's Julia Cameron from her book Heart Steps. Oh, yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, you may have to you may have to pop that over to me. I I, I think that uh, right now remembering that we are enough and remembering not to strive. Right. Is so important. Very much so. Very much so. All right, you ready to jump into the episode? I am. Let's be on fire. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Metaphorically. Metaphorically, folks. Metaphorically, of course, of course. <laughs> Funniest Thing Guy, Ed Biagioti, joins us with a new segment. Hello, everybody. My name is Ed Biagioti. I'm the co-host of Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed right here on Unity Online Radio. It's such a pleasure to be with you, to talk to you on Big Universe, talk with you, be with you on Big Universe today on the subject of remaining zen in the face of potentially disturbing or challenging situations, putting out fires when they do arise. And I really think, just like in my days which as a classroom teacher, which I am back in the classroom full-time now, so this really hits home for me, when things come up in the moment, it is awesome to be able to breathe and let go of judgment and fall into the moment and just accept whatever comes. That's a huge bonus. But what's taken it a step further for me is is a spiritual practice that involves affirmative prayer, an affirmative to-do list, meditation. Usually I start with inspired reading, then I go into a, a little meditation in the morning, and then I go into an affirmative to-do list, um, 
affirming the way I want to show up during the day, visualizing what is going to happen, opening myself up to unexpected good, affirming that the universe is a friendly place and I can't wait to see what God has in store for me today. All of these things that really open me up to be receptive to the kind of experiences that I truly desire. That's a huge part of this because what I've found is that when I've been deeply embroiled in conflicts and conflicts that have kind of brought out the worst in me, I realized that I was neglecting myself, that those experiences are just an indicator of what's already present within me. This idea that God, the omnipotent, that love, that the universe is one song and that the good is always present is really changed my whole life because then it's a matter of how do I readjust my mind to get back in the flow with divine good? And am I willing to let go of my rational thinking and just affirm the good and show up with a joyful, buoyant, open perspective, joyful attitude, see, intentionally seeing the good and the light and everyone around me and being amazed at how well my day and my life turns out? So I really recommend a morning routine of inspired reading, brief meditation and affirmative prayer. That way you're putting out fires before they even start and you're setting yourself up for a great day. Once again, my name is Ed Biagioti, co-host of Funniest Thing on Unity Online Radio, and it is great to be with you on Big Universe. Here's Martha Creek with a Unity Moment. Inspired by the four agreements, this is the second agreement. This is Martha Creek, marthacreek.com to contact me. Agreement two, do not take anything personally. Oh, you heard it. Don't take anything personally. Well, how easy, folks, is this to practice? Because the truth is we do take it personally. Even, and I do, and you do, so nobody's immune from this. Even if traffic doesn't flow, even if it rains on our wedding day, who knows? Everything's against us, against us, against us. So this is a true, true path for spiritual awakening and enlightenment. Not to take anything personally. Nothing others do is because of you. Now, this has been a core of my suffering since my earliest memories. Maybe you can relate of being three years old and looking around the house you were in and thinking that the look on their face was caused by you or the tone in their voice was caused by you. So it's no little thing to come out of this at any age, to stop taking anything personally and to drop into and live into nothing others do is because of you. Nothing others do is because of me. Nothing others do is caused by me. Whoa, talk about liberation and freedom. What others say and do is a projection of their own mind. What others say and do is a projection of their own convictions, their own beliefs, their own thought systems, their own reality, so to speak. So 
what others are saying and doing is inner referenced, not externally referenced. What a relief. I can get myself off the hook again. As we grow up in this, as we get some maturity, emotional and spiritual maturity, we become more and more immune to the opinions of others. Would that be all right with you to have some immunity toward and from the opinions of others? Also, we gain some immunity from the actions of others. So this means, folks, that there is a real potential here that we can stop, at least minimize, reduce, and maybe eliminate being the victim of needless, 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 needless suffering every time we take something personally. Don't take anything personally. All love to and for you. MarthaCreek.com to contact me. Blessings. And now it's time for our interview. Hirsch Wilson is a 30-year veteran volunteer firefighter EMT with the Hondo Fire Department in Santa Fe County, New Mexico. He also writes a monthly column on dogs for the Santa Fe, New Mexico. I know Sarah would love that. Um, he's also a storyteller committed to explaining how first responding can change how we see and experience our own lives. In his real job, he's a writer, speaker, and consultant. He has written three national bestsellers with Larry Wilson, including the award-winning Playing to Win, Choosing Growth Over Fear in Work and in Life. His latest project, based on 30 years as a volunteer firefighter, is helping individuals and organizations see the world as fires, firefighters do and learn how to thrive through traumatic and stressful times. His new book is Firefighter Zen, A Field Guide to Thriving in Tough Times. And boy, is this a good primer for what's going on right now. Tough times. It, very interesting times. Thanks for joining us, Hirsch. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, so I'm really fascinated by your journey. Um, you, you and your wife were both ballet dancers, and then you, you made a big leap. So I didn't mean that in a pun way, but I, oh, you, you made did, a big leap did, <laughs> to become firefighters. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious, how did that happen and, and why did you do that? Well, so Lori and I both grew up as dancers. Um, I think we were married in our early 20s and we continued dancing uh, until uh, we were in our early 30s. And at which point dance pretty much ends, <laughs> like any athlete. Um, and the, you know, the thing about dancing, it's a very cloistered world. It's just focused on uh, the classroom and on, this, on the stage and your career, so, and staying healthy. So uh, when we left dance, we were pretty much clueless about what to do next. So we moved to Santa Fe from Minneapolis. <laughs> Why not? Everybody moves to Santa Fe when they're trying to re reinvent their lives. Right, right. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So um, Lori got a job at a conference center uh, just outside of Santa Fe. And one day, uh, a woman uh, fell and broke her ankle. And there was nobody there who knew how to help or do anything. Uh, Lori had a little bit of medical background. But, uh, you know, it wasn't really enough. So she, Lori being Lori, very stubborn Norwegian woman, decided this was never going to happen again on her watch. 
So she went to an uh, emergency medical technician class, which is about six months long. And she took the class, passed the class. And at the end of the class, the instructor said, hey, Lori, if you want to keep your skills up, you ought to join a volunteer fire department so you can actually practice your skills. So unfortunately, what Lori heard was that both of us should join the volunteer fire department. <laughs> so she came and told me this, and I had never heard of a volunteer fire department before. Um, I could not envision myself uh, breaking down doors with axes and all the men in my family had a thing about blood and gore. So I just thought that was a terrible idea. But she dragged me to the first meeting and they were sitting around a table. There was about 15 people in the meeting at the fire station. And they were looking at a picture of a, of a, a bad tragic car accident that they had had the week before. And they're passing the picture around the, the table and everybody's looking at it, kind of examining it. Lori looked at it and she was just fascinated by what we call the mechanism of injury, unfortunately, with the fatality. And then she passed me the picture and I looked at the patient and passed out. Yeah, I would, I would <laughs> right. probably do the same thing. I would probably <laughs> right. do the same thing. So Lori, Lori turned to me and said, maybe you could just learn to drive the trucks. Um, <laughs> and so she jumped into it and loved it. It took me a little while longer to kind of see that this was an important thing to do. And it it felt, uh, it was like the universe came together for me in terms of knowing that this is what I need to do. This is what I want to do going forward in my life. So that's kind of our story of how we uh, initially got into the fire department. You made a statement in the book that I thought was really striking and that I honestly didn't know that there are approximately 1.2 million firefighters in the U.S. and 70% are volunteers. Uh, you know, I have to say, I didn't know that. Uh, so obviously we're grateful for that, but you know, what a, what an amazing journey for folks to do in addition to whatever else they have to do. Yeah. And it goes back to 1736 uh, when the first volunteer fire brigade was started by Benjamin Franklin. And so there's been uh, how many years, a 250 year tradition of volunteers, volunteers, staff fire uh, are the, are the, Firefighters in small towns and medium-sized towns. Um, in the larger cities, uh, they're mostly career firefighters. And they are my heroes, believe me. The career, the people who are career firefighters, really I uh, look up to and, and, and try to emulate how they approach the job every day. Now, you say that you don't have to be a firefighter to find fulfillment. You just have to see the world through a firefighter's eyes. What do you mean by that? I know we're going to go into details about that sure. as, as the whole show goes, but I, I guess just generally, what do you mean by that? Sure. I think the firefighter perspective, and it's, it's a very Zen perspective in a way, um, you learn a couple things right away. The first thing you learn is that life is inherently unstable. Um, uh, stuff happens. You can be walking down the street, clutch your chest, have a heart attack. Uh, you, you know, your, your house burns down. There's car accidents um, that, and, and that's just the way life is. It's the way life always has been. Um, the idea of, of being able to predict and, and see your life in a, in a long term is, is a fallacy because stuff just happens. Uh, it's unpredictable and it is short uh, as we learn on the fire service all the time. So holding that perspective um, changes how you see yourself every day. And, you know, it's, it's things like um, after a bad call, I would come home 
and uh, at night and go into my, uh, my daughter's bedrooms and just sit there on the floor and listen to them breathe and be so, so, have so much gratitude and have, have, uh, have such love for them knowing how safe we were in that moment and how precious life was in that moment. So that's kind of the perspective that I hold, that firefighters hold, that, that changes how you see life, changes how you see people. Um, you understand that everybody has a story. Everybody's going through suffering um, at some level. And, and so you approach life with more kindness, I think, with more empathy, and, and as importantly, with a desire to really help, um, to really being there to help people uh, when they need it. There's this term you use around this that I really love called the firefighters universe. Oh, yeah. And because we're on the big universe show, I feel like <laughs> I have to pop in and ask about uh, what, what the firefighter universe is. Sure. I, I think the firefighter universe is there are rules. There are rules to any universe. And, uh, you know, the first rule is that life is short. If you think about it, if you close your eyes and imagine this, that before you came to this planet, there was an infinity, infinity of time before you. And after you go, there'll be an infinity of time after you're gone. We are just this tiny speck of, of um, existence that's immeasurable in terms of the universe. And that's hard for us to grasp sometimes because we're, we're trained to be very egocentric. We're trained to think we're important. When in, in the reality of, of everything, we're, we're, we're not that important. Um, you know, so that, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> now, hold on, hold on. Hold on, Hirsch, pull right. up, pull up. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Right. <laughs> Here comes the ground. Ah! Um, and then I think the other, the other part is that stuff happens. If you look at the, if you step back and take a look at the universe, you know, we're this blue ball turning, you know, spinning around this, you know, this insignificant sun in a, in a universe of where there's uh, novas and black holes and meteors and asteroids. And on the planet, we're in, a, we're in a constant, as we've learned, we're in a constant battle with microbes, right? Um, that it, it's a war. <laughs> And it's, it's just an unstable place. We think of it as stable because our lives, you know, our lives are so short that, um, you know, we're, we kind of live in, in, inside, these, inside these waves of, of chaos and confusion. And, and so that's the other part. But as firefighters, we see this all the time. We see that stuff happens all the time. Um, uh, and we, we mentioned how that, how that plays out. So, so those are, those are, that's the firefighter universe. And it's accepting that truth. It's accepting that and an understanding, accepting life for how it is rather than how you want it to be. Um, when you pierce all those illusions, then you have a shot at joy, right? You have a, a shot at, at understanding that we're here to help each other. We're here to uh, find out you know, what our purpose is in life. We're here um, to end suffering and to stop suffering. And I think that's the firefighter universe, you know? in a nutshell. Awesome. Well, we'll be right back on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Welcome back to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. So, Hirsch, you know, we're kind of a spiritual show, but we're totally open to all perspectives here. So, you know, um, I, I feel like um, I, I agree with you in that I, I don't ignore physics, um, but I also believe in, in sort of a, a principle, a, 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 um, a higher essence or something like that. And mm -hmm. I don't know if we differ about that, but I, you talk about in the book, um, in the debate between God and physics, you choose physics. What do you mean? That's a really great question. And um, I, I, um, I was raised Catholic in, in a Jewish neighborhood. Um, and, and I was an altar boy. I went through all that and went to lots of bar mitzvahs and temple occasionally. So that's kind of my religious background. Um, at one level, I, I, am, I am an absolutely comfortable agnostic. I have no idea, right? right. I think I think your t when you, which I'm going to convert into a T-shirt is, is ditch the dogma or whatever. Yeah. It's oh yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> totally. Which I love. Yeah. Which I love. So um, I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. Um, as a firefighter, I just play with the rules as as we understand them, um, and and I, it goes to this. It's like, so many times we get asked the question when something bad happens, why did this happen? And people aren't asking to for the physics. They're asking a much more metaphysical, much more spiritual question. Um, and I've been asked that question so many times. And I just have to say, you know, my inside says, I don't know, right? It's chaotic universe. Stuff happens. Mm -hmm. I would never say that to somebody. But I think then you say the, the probably the most, to me, the most spiritually significant question that there is, is how can I help? I what can that. I do for you? Yeah, so, I love it. yeah, that's kind of where I am. I, I, you know, it's like Barack Obama said, that's answering the question about God is way over my pay grade. <laughs> Which is interesting, because many of us who are clergy would say the same thing, we would answer the same, same way in mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. um, you know, that there is so much mystery to this. So it was funny, I found myself in that chapter of your book, also doing a little bit of um, mental gymnastics around the idea of God and physics and um, and what what is the intersection of those two. So your answer right there was really helpful. Yeah, I, one of the favorite things that I think about all the time is that different spiritual traditions are different poems about the same experience. That's well said. Uh, I like that. Well I like said. that. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think about that a lot. And I, I, again, it goes back to um, when you look at all the great spiritual traditions, they all boil down to a lot of the same ideas. Uh, you know, treat others like you treat yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I think of, because I was, I was raised Christian, is um, I always think of um, that, you know, Christ um, came out of the temple and washed the feet of the lepers. He didn't stay inside a multi-million dollar temple and preach. He was action, he was in with the people. And so I always think of him as one of the greatest thinkers and most transformative thinkers in the Western tradition, but, but he was action oriented, which is what firefighters do. You talk about the importance of managing self-talk. How do you do that? What are some, some tools you might be able to give us for that? Uh, I think it's really important right now. I think our self-talk our self is, if you're like me, 
it's out of control. Yes, <laughs> right. I, yeah, may, I up, may have heard up. something like that. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So I think I know. Think about that today. Is that whether you come from an Eastern Zen perspective? You know, I mean, I'm I'm a old white man, um, uh, very Eurocentric because that's how we were trained. History, you know, in the history um, that we got. Um, but I think the idea of being able to quiet your mind really hugely important for a couple of reasons. I mean, we create so much noise inside ourselves. Uh, you know, and we, we always talk about we, the things we say to ourselves, we would never, ever say to another human being, but we say it to ourselves all the time. We catastrophize, we jump to conclusions, all that kind of stuff. So we have to know that that's going on in our brain. Um, so, so we need to learn how to quiet our brain. And, for, and first of all, the first step is being aware that that's happening. Um, I, I once um, was teaching a seminar and I asked, how many people talk to themselves? Raise your hands. And a couple of people didn't raise their hands. And, they, and so I said, so, you know, so it's like, you're saying to yourself, I don't talk to myself, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, so the first step is, is acknowledging that um, we talk to ourselves and we have a constant narration going on in our brains. Then the second step is interrupt there. And, and there, there are a number of practices. The simple practice we teach is this thing called stop, challenge, and choose. Stop, uh, listen to yourself, breathe, and make that choice, make that choice to kind of stop the noise, stop the irrational stuff. And it's something you can do in two minutes, but it starts with being aware then taking the time to stop and then breathing and challenging your thinking. So it's stop, challenge, and choose. And you can practice that all the time. Other ways, of course, to do it are by meditation. Other ways to do it are, you know, by intense exercise. Anything that really kind of takes that noise out of your head. Okay, talk about the, the uh, one of the other tools is not my emergency. Oh, what do you I mean? love this one. Yeah, yeah. So, um, we, you know, in Zen, they talk a lot about equanimity. Um, and on the fire service, you have to be calm in order to do your job effectively. Uh, you cannot, uh, you know, if you, if you lose that sense of calm, you just become another bystander running around panicking, not being helpful at all. So, you know, the inner game of firefighting is to really find that calm voice. So one of the mantras, and, and you can't, a firefighter will never tell you that he or she uses a mantra because it sounds very Eastern, but we all do. So, and my mantra is going to a bad call is to say, this is not my emergency. This is not my emergency. This is my job. And that helps me stay calm. Uh, and it helps me know that I'm there to help. I'm not there to panic. I'm there to be, um, uh, I'm, not, I'm there to empathize, but to not get overwhelmed by emotions. And I think that has um, real relevance today because we, we have to be able to sort through what's a personal emergency and what is just going on in the outside that we don't have any control over. We don't have any control over the election. We have very little control over the pandemic. Um, and, and so what is, so we don't have to panic about those things because they're not in our control. Um, what is in our control? What can we control? We control our attitude, we control the actions we take, but we have to let go and realize that the, the world is not my emergency. So it's about the Zen of things. It's about being in the moment and not letting that self-talk get out of the get getting into your system and realizing what is yours to do in that moment 
rather than you know running around without uh, with with fear just circling in our heads. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think there's um, when you're in an intense moment, it's very it can be very focusing. You can lose track of time. You can lose track of uh, of what's going on around you, and you're just simply you're very very focused in the moment. Um, and that's a remarkable feeling when all that all that self talk shuts down and you're really focused on on someone else actually. You talk about crisis begets pain, but crisis brings clarity. What do you mean? Um, I was talking to um, a crisis counselor a long time ago, and she said, uh, after trauma, time shows up. And I think what she meant was, we go through our days thinking all kinds of things are important. I need to be on time. I need to lose weight. Um, I need to get my vision checked. That's kind of a thing for me this morning. Um, <laughs> I was thinking all three of those apply. Hersher, you're using my mind. <laughs> right? But um, all this noise is in our heads about priorities and what's important, blah, blah, blah. When a crisis happens, all that falls away. And if you go back to March 19th this year, all of us had plans. We had calendars, right? We knew what we were going to be doing this year. Then the, then the pandemic shows up and everybody threw away their calendars because it wasn't important anymore. What was important was surviving the pandemic, uh, figuring out how to, how to be in isolation. And I think that was a great example of what happens when crisis comes. And, and so we experienced it on a global and a national level, but that happens to individuals all the time. Uh, and I think the, the, my example I use all the time, because it just makes me crazy, is that you go to an oncologist on Friday, and then you have to wait all weekend to get a call back from the oncologist on Monday. And during that weekend, everything falls, everything is, that you thought was important goes away until you get that diagnosis. Does that make sense? Sure, absolutely, yeah. So I think at the core of your book, you talk about be brave, be kind, fight fires. Tell me what you mean. Be brave. In order to live a fulfilled life, uh, in order to, to be who you are supposed to be, absolutely, positively, no question about it, you have to be brave. Because the whole world uh, uh, is telling you who to be, what you can and cannot do. And that's a constant narration going on. Um, and the, I often say that the, the most important question we can ask ourselves in any choice point is what is the bravest thing to, I can do? What is the brave choice? And, and go all the way back to high school, which is essentially life is high school. It's just all high school. Um, but, but asking somebody out, right? Um, I'm not sure uh, life is just high school. I sometimes think life is elementary school. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I'm having a Sorry, panic yeah. attack now about high school. <laughs> <laughs> I Sorry. Never, I, I didn't no, mean I to get stop it. I get and it. challenge and choose <laughs> right, about right. that comment. <laughs> right. But think about not taking the tough classes, right? Deciding to take a comfortable, a comfortable path rather than a hard path, right? That those are choices that are come up uh, at us every day. And, and we're always making that unconscious choice. Should I take the comfortable path or should I take the brave path? Learning to take the brave path uh, 
full of obstacles and pain and objections. That is the only way we grow into who we're supposed to become. Okay. So that's my, my kind of thing about bravery is if you want to be who you if you want to grow to your full potential, you need to be brave. There's just no way around that. Um, and on the fire service, we say for every opportunity you have to be brave, there's a hundred opportunities to be kind. Mm, yeah. And I think right now, again, I think, um, we are in a world of pain. And once we get outside of ourselves, whether whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, people are in pain, right? Uh, Robin Williams said before he died, is that um, be kind always, because everybody has a story, everybody. And, and so it doesn't, and I, I, think of, I think of radical kindness where I'm actively looking for opportunities every day, although I haven't been out of my house in months. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking for opportunities every day uh, to be kind and simple things, opening a door, letting somebody cut in front of you in traffic. It's not, it's not uh, like the Indy 500 out there, right? Let them go. Um, all those things are important to find, find those moments to be kind. Secondly, I don't expect reciprocity. It's not. And I think sometimes it's like I open a door for somebody and my ego says, well, they should thank me. Right. Yep, my ego says that too, and I have right. to catch myself every time. I know. And say, oh, it, no, I, I'm right. not doing it for that. Yeah, right. It's it's not about them. It's about how I want to show up in the world. Um, I want to be. I want to be. I want to be remembered and known as someone who is kind, someone who who is calm. So being kind is really, um, I think, the most important thing we can uh, we can do right now to help people. Then the third fighting fires is, I, I think about it this way. It's that um, in our lives, we are constantly faced with problems. We're never going to not have a problem. For, we're never going to have a problem-free existence. Doesn't exist. Having no problems is called death, right? Uh, problems, 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 problems. So those are fires. Those are the fires. And our job every day is to go out and solve problems and then go, to, go home, go to bed, get up the next morning and solve problems. That's our existence. And I think it's making the shift to say, I don't want to have any problems to understanding that like a firefighter, that, that pager is going to go off. The 911 calls, call is going to happen every day, as long as they're human beings. And our job is to get up, go to the call, solve the problem, come home. Right. And that's our lives. And I think accepting that as, as kind of a premise for life is, is again, a helpful stance. So the 87th problem, I love to talk about that. What do you mean by that? Oh, I love that story. So this is a Zen story and it goes like this. So a man uh, had a problem and uh, he wanted to get it solved. So he sold, sold all his possessions to have enough money to travel, traveled the world, right? Lost all his money. And finally, almost out of money, he comes up to this last desperate hope and, and of the Zen master in a hut. He walks into the hut and he says, oh my God, Master, I'm so glad uh, that I'm connecting with you. And the Zen master says, well, I know why you're here. And the man says, how can you know why I'm here? And the master said, because you have a problem. And the man looked at him, how do you know I have a problem? And the master says, well, because not only do you have this problem, but you have 86 problems. And every time you solve a problem, the universe gives you another problem because you always will have 86 problems. Um, and the man, of course, just... His shoulders sagged, didn't know what to say. He had come into uh, the meeting with one problem and now to find out he had 86. Well, it just depressed him. 
And then the master said, oh yeah, and then there's this 87th problem. And the man looks like him at him and says, look, are you crazy? And the Zen master said, the 87th problem is believing that you shouldn't have problems, mm. right? Yeah. That's the 87th problem. And you need to get over the fact that you have problems and just get on solving them because that's what life is. That can feel daunting if you don't go into that perspective of, you know, this is, this is the experience. Yeah, I, I, think, I think in the back of our minds, we go, oh my God, why should I have problems? I'm special. Um, I'm a unique person. I, des I deserve not to have problems. But that's just, that's an illusion. That's just an illusion that we get taught or, um, you know, or we learn somehow. But the fact is, is that there's always problems and you always have to solve them. And a problem is, is you know, kind of the difference between what we want and what we have. And, and we, sometimes we need to be satisfied with what we have, right? And, and live in the real world rather than living in a world that we wish it would be. I think there's something nice about how you're kind of making problem kind of an object as mm. opposed to that idea of internalizing. I often see people who, when they have problems, believe I am the problem and internalize that because there's something chaotic going on outside of me. I, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's right. And I think, I think, again, goes back to that clarity and discipline of thinking. Um, of being able to see the big picture and really be able to separate ourselves from what's happening in the world versus what's me. Um, and we have to always remember, right? Uh, I'm not my problems. Problems are external to me. I'm not my job, right? I'm not my marriage. Uh, I'm, I'm me. And we have to, and if you're not comfortable with, um, with understanding you at your core, and it kind of accepting that quiet space of who you are, then you got work to do, I guess is the best way to say it. <laughs> Might have a little work to do over yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the suggestion for doing that work. People pay thousands and thousands of dollars to therapists and to uh, workshops and retreats to answer that question. Um, and I'm not an expert in any of that. But I think time spent alone, right? Time thinking, uh, religious traditions give us, I mean, whether it's prayer or meditation, just being silent with yourself. I think growing up has a lot to do with it. Going through tragedy has a lot to do with it. Um, that, that clarifies who you are, right? Um, and, I, and I think I write, talk in the book is that everybody's gonna go through tragedy you don't get away from it. The universe, the one promise the universe makes is that we're all going to go through trauma and crisis. Um, and that's a growthful experience. I think that was my biggest takeaway, Hirsch, from your book. Um, and I don't think that we, we often talk about the word tragedy in the mm. same way that we talk about trauma. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about the difference for you between those two words? Yeah, I think trauma to me, I mean, because I'm medically trained. So trauma to me is a very specific thing. Um, and it's an immediate painful insult to the body, to the mind, to your emotions, right? Um, and that's, uh, it stops you in your tracks. You have a plan and tr trauma happens and you no longer have a plan, right? Um, so that's kind of how I think of trauma. I think tragedy, tragedy is a really interesting word. Um, 
And I think tragedy, you know, there's a philosophical definition of tragedy. Um, and the, and like Albert Camus talks about life is essentially tragic, right? Um, at, the, at that kind of meta level. But tragedy, I think, is when um, crisis and pain become overwhelming at some level and you kind of live with this heaviness. You live with this, um, this sadness and this inability to cope in the world. And that haunts you. And, and, but the most important thing about it is when you're new to tragedy, uh, when it just happens, you think this is the way it's going to be forever. And, and that's normal. But I think wisdom teaches us and experienced people teach us that um, tragedy doesn't last forever, right? We're, we're designed and we're born and we evolved uh, to heal. And that's not only physically, you know, physically, we have a broken leg, we heal, but we also can break our spirit and heal. We're designed to heal. Um, one of my favorite stories was after a really bad call, an old kind of paramedic, grizzly paramedic said, you know, the first, the next few months are going to suck. And, and what he meant was, it was, it was a tragic and we're holding tragedy in, right? We're going to have nightmares. We're not going to be able to sleep. We're not going to be able to complete sentences. We're going to be constantly during the day thinking about what happened. But he also said it was the next couple of months. And in that was the kind of firefighter wisdom that says, um, we'll get over this. This will not be this way forever. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as a Catholic, ex-Catholic, you immediately feel guilty saying, oh, my God, I'm going to get over this. That's wrong. <laughs> I should hold on to this, right? right. Um, I, I need to hold on to the pain. But the fact is that um, we get better. We, do, we're not, we don't go back to being the same. Uh, it's life-altering, but we heal. So the we just have a couple of minutes, and I just sure. want to touch on um, developing toughness. Things you can do to develop toughness. What well, you, you list a couple of things. Yeah, yeah. So, um, as a human being or as a firefighter, yeah, there are times you have to be tough. Again, it's it's just one of those things you have to learn how to be tough. Um, and you can think of in your own life hundreds of examples. Whether it's it's you know when you get rejected from a at a job interview. Uh, as in theater, when you when somebody laughs at you in a, at an audition, not that it, that ever happened to me. <laughs> clearly, <laughs> right? clearly from the way clearly. you say that, we can see that's something far away. Right, right, <laughs> right. Um, but we need to be tough. Sometimes we we need to be able to get through hard stuff. And I think of it that's something we, that's something we can grow. We're we're taught by our culture uh, again that comfort is everything. Comfort and status and money that yada, yada, yada. When we're not taught in our culture that being tough uh, is something we need to do. So, um, and I, I, think of the, I think of a constant way, all kinds of ways to learn to be tough. And it is things like um, learning simple things, just random ideas. It's doing improv theater, right? Where you're constantly having to be on stage and be rejected, right? Um, Athletics, sports are another great way to learn toughness uh, where, where, you know, I coach soccer and you get a 13 year old kid who's never really experienced hard stuff. And, and you teach them that you're, she or she, you're not going to die if you're breathing hard, <laughs> right? You can get through this. Um, so it's, it's kind of those kinds of examples that we can learn to be tough. 
and I think, I think, and just because I'm um, incredibly biased, is that athletics and sports for kids hugely important um, because it teach one of the reasons it teaches emotional toughness. And if I was in charge, if I was in charge of the universe or, or education, I would say um, everybody's got to work in retail. You will, <laughs> amen. You will, amen. You will learn <laughs> to be tough, or or in a restaurant. Uh, everybody needs to go to Outward Bound because you will learn to be tough and you will learn about your, how, how enterprising and resi resilient you are. Uh, and doing improv theater would be a great idea too because you learn how to be tough and handle yourself. So it's finding those kind of opportunities in your lives to say, and again, it's like asking the question, how can I personally learn to be more tough? And what is being tough? It's being tough, it's like resilience, the ability to go through a difficult experience and bounce back quickly, right? Um, and that's what we're talking about. So one quick last thing, um, sure. a question I want to ask you is, if there's one tip or piece of advice you suggest for our audience, what would it be? I think right now it is to, uh, to it's, it's, a, it's a, a double-edged sword. It's learn to be calm. Find your calm right now, right? And at the same time, uh, be passionate about what you believe in. So it's, it's trying to find a balance between those two. It's like fighting a fire. It's like uh, you need to be calm. You need to have the inner source of, of calmness, but then you need to be passionate about fighting the fire. And I think that's what we all need right now. Uh, we have a fight ahead of us. Um, you know, they talk about, we talk, always talk about the arc of justice bends upward, but it's because we're, bent, we're doing the bending, right? It's not doing it by itself. So we have a lot of work to do, but it, it, it comes first from that sense of being calm. Well, thank you so much, Hirsch, for being on Big Universe. We really appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. For more information on Hirsch Wilson, please go to hirschwilson.com. For more great information about Sarah Bowen, go to spiritual-rebel.com. I've got premium video courses, and I help to create them on my website called youththrivehere.com. Thanks, everybody, and we'll talk with you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.